The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. Man. Right. Yeah. Thank you, band. That was awesome. Love that. So great. Christmas season is upon us. Welcome. If this is your first night at Crew, we are so glad that you're here with us. Um, we are in our last talk in the series on Romans 8, the greatest chapter ever written, but also it's the end of the semester. Christmas is just around the corner, and I wanted to find out what kind of group we are about Christmas. There's two, generally two kinds of people when it comes to Christmas, and I'm curious if it's like split half and half or if there's like overwhelmingly one side or another. So think about this. Growing up, were, was your family a real tree family or a fake tree family? Who are the real tree people out here? All right, a ton of you. And who's the fake tree? Oh, wow, a bunch of you. Anyone, like, go out and actually chop down a tree themselves? Oh, man, really hardcore. Nice. I want to do that sometime with my kids. I think it'd be a ton of fun. Okay, who is Christmas all day, all the time, like, in these weeks? Okay, and who's like, I'm annoyed already? Or I'll do some, just some. Who's there? Nice, you're too afraid. I think you're too afraid to, like, put your hand up there. All right, this one's interesting. Who takes their wrapping paper from their gifts and folds it up nicely. Is there anybody who does that? <laughs> and then who are the terrors in like, I don't care, I'm getting into my present. Nice. Okay, last one. Who is into the colored lights? All about the, the like, all the, all the colors of the rainbow. And who's like, no, 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 these ones. Yeah, all right. I'm all about these lights. We put up our Christmas tree. And it's maybe my, I didn't grow up with Christmas. My family was weird. They were just weird. They didn't love me. Kept Christmas from me until I was older. But now I just love, we got our tree. It's not that sad. Um, <laughs> I, we got our tree. We have it set up. It has these lights. And there is something so fun about sitting in the dark in the glow of the tree. Um, it's just so beautiful. It's, it gives it the ambience, right? This, isn't there a Christmas feel like there's this time of hope, there's an R, there's ma- it's kind of magical. I think about like the hope of our world can be represented by Christmas, right? That as there's this idea, and people approach Christmas this way, that as long as we're happy, as, as long as people care for each other, there's this like Christmas spirit that everyone could get into it. And if everyone had a good time, if people just accepted one another, there's just this attitude of, man, if it can all just be wrapped up nicely in this cute little baby bundled neatly and tidily in swaddling claws, right? Christmas represented as baby Jesus, who's just this sweet, innocent, little lovely baby who's loving. And many look at Christmas that way, right? This everything good and innocent and awesome about Christmas, that this is the God of the universe who is love itself and is beautiful, right? There's something so good. But then there's other people who look at Christmas and that's not what they're experiencing. That's not what they're, what they're seeing because they feel like their world is falling apart, right? And they see behind like the lights to the difficulty of life. And what I want to talk about tonight, and, and it really hits this passage that we're looking at in Romans 8, is we think about God's love often just in the side of 
kindness and his goodness. Even the song we just sang, his love chases us down. It kicks down walls. It climbs mountains. It does all of this because of his kindness and his beauty towards us. But there's a whole other side of his love that we often don't consider, we often miss, um, and we need to. Here's what I want us to do. When we consider this Christmas season the gift of baby Jesus, also to consider the reality of what happens to that baby, the adult human Jesus who hangs from a cross, that God's gift to humanity is ultimately a human the most human being that there ever was, Jesus himself, who through infancy and adolescence ends up on a cross because he was obedient to the Father to the point of death. And we cannot forget the full picture of God's love for us. It is innocent, sweet, kind. The, the, the most amazing picture and beauty of love that you can imagine. But then the other side of that love being what we see on the cross and some of the darkness and some of the pain of that. What, what I want to do is look at um, the full picture of God's love. So tonight, that's, that's what we're going to look at, the fullness of God's love. And actually, if you could throw up the, the outline there uh, for tonight. Yeah. So we're going to look at four things. Um, and actually, if you want to grab your Bible and turn to Romans 8, and if you don't have a Bible, I'm pretty sure we have Bibles that we're passing out. Just slip up your hand. We'd love for you to be able to see this in your Bible um, yourself. If you don't have one, yeah, we'd love you to, to take this Bible home with you. But so we're, what we're going to look at is four things. First, God's love towards us is definitional. Second, God's love towards us is purposeful. Third, God's love towards us is fatherly. And then last, we're going to look at that lo- God's love is the ground of our hope. That God's love is so incredible, so amazing that it does all of these things, and we're going to explore that tonight. Um, so turn to Romans 8, and if you wouldn't mind standing with me in honor of the word, I want to read um, the very last piece of Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And as I read, we're going to play a little bit, like in your mind as, as we're reading it, just think, one of these is not like the other, right? Read, find the line that just doesn't fit, that all of a sudden it's like, what the heck just happened here? Okay, Ready? Paul in Romans 8, starting in verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that we, he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray. Lord, would you be with us tonight as we dig into this passage? I pray that your spirit um, would speak and breathe the truth of this passage into our lives, that we would consider and see you in it and what it is that your spirit might be calling us to do in response to it. I pray that you would take over my heart, my words, and each person in here who's listening. Would you allow us to come before you and really receive from your hand what you want us tonight? Pray these things because you are awesome and great and we love you. Amen. You can have a seat. If you have questions about anything I'm talking about tonight, go ahead and text it up to that number in the top right of the screen, and I will make an attempt at answering those questions. Um, But this passage, I love this passage in that there is so much here for us to stand on as Christians. If you have your hope in Jesus, there is so much here, so much promise and so many things that are amazing that nothing can separate us. And look at how great the, the love that the Father has for us. It's amazing. It's incredible. You can cling to it. You can have confidence in it. You can bank your very life on God's love for you. It, you, can, you can trust it. It is the deepest root that you can um, put, put yourself into. But right in the middle, did you catch the weird out of nowhere, this phrase that comes in? Um, who will separate us from the love, Right? Nothing. There's no enemy that could come against us. All of that. And then he says, for it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. It's just out of nowhere. He's like, love God. The love of God is so great. It's so on you. It's like we're sheep to be slaughtered. How awesome is that? It's just out of nowhere. And I was like, why is this? Why is Paul quoting this? This makes no sense to me. Of course, I explored. We'll look at Psalm 44 a little later tonight. But this is part of it. The love of God is so profound and so big that Paul, as he's talking about this, as he's moving through Romans 8, he gets to this. The the love of God is so great. And and in that, we are sheep to be slaughtered. The followers of Christ, sheep to be slaughtered. We are going to unpack and figure out what God means by that. So the first point, we're just going to hold on to that just for a second. We're going to get there. We're going to figure this out. But the first point for tonight is that God's love towards us is definitional. What I mean by that is as we define words, as we figure out what words mean, when we think and consider the the word love, one truth from scripture is the fact that God is love. It's not like God is like love. Um, When you think about love and some of the concepts of love that God also has that as an attribute in some fashion or some way, scripture actually says that God is is love, that in some way it is tied to his very nature, not just an attribute kind of slapped on him. He is love. And so when we want to try to understand what love is, definitionally, we look to God. So in the same way that you and I would look up a word, right? You read along, you come across a word, like the word palooza. Does anyone know what that word means? I don't know what that word means. What's it? A party. Yeah. That's, what, that's the definition I'd maybe give it from context clues, right? Has anyone ever looked it up? No? 
But that's what you could do, right? If you don't know the definition of word, if the context clues don't help you out entirely, you can look up that word, right? And in the same way, love, you can look up to God, right? You look to him. That's a dad joke. Love it. Um, look up to God, right, instead of looking it up in a book. But looking to God, seeing him and who he is and the nature of who he is, that's how we can figure out what love is. That's how we can figure it out. So what that means is we start, sometimes very often, we start with a concept and then try to flood our own ideas into the truth of that concept. You and I, by the world, being encroached upon by the world, have already, you have a definition of what it means to love someone what it means to show love, to give love. And I don't know if you know this, but there, each person in this room, not each person, but many of us in this room probably have different definitions of what it looks like to love someone. What, what counts as love? Which acts count as love? And what does it look like to love? And then we have these friction points between each other because we don't love each other well because we all are running with different definitions of what it means to love. And so we look to God to actually define that word for us. When I say God, love is definitional, it means that any concept or any way that we can understand what love is has to flow from himself. It has to come from him. And the danger of doing it the other way is that our love will be colored by our society, by the people around us. And I think it tends to slide to the soft and... Um, fluffy elements of God's love, right? Generally the things that most people will agree with and it will go away from the reality that if God is love, but he's also severe, if God is love and he's also prickly, what do we do with that? Um, so some people would say, well, God's none of those things. He's not severe, he's not prickly. If he is love, he's none, none of those things. But, but if you see God in scripture, he reveals himself as a God who is prickly. Um, and so, when we look at this passage and we see sheep slaughtered, we're like, what the heck? And Paul is tying it into some way, God's love of us. We need to pause for a second and figure out what does that mean? What does it mean that God loves me and in some way I am readily given over by God as a sheep to be slaughtered in this world? How do we combine these two, two things? So, I want to talk a little bit about God looking at him and his nature and his love for us, but also... Um, looking at our relationship with him. The reality that he doesn't just, he just isn't just love, but we also see him loving creatures, loving you and me. And there's two things I want to talk about briefly. That there's, in, in reality, there's no real analogy to the relationship between God and us. There's, there's no analogy. We can come up with all kinds of metaphors, but none of them actually hit it. This is, I'm going to say a paradoxical statement. God is at the same time further from you and me, and at, the, and at the same time nearer to us than any other creature. At the same time, he's the furthest possible to us from any creature, and at the same time nearer, nearer to us. What I mean by that is, if you think about like all the creatures in the world, a snail, a little tiny snail, and a rhino, they're vastly different, right? Very different creatures. Or a cat and like an archangel. Very different, very different creatures. And I, I think for a second, like, I don't know what it's like to live a life as a worm. Like, I don't get that. So we're very far distance from each other. But the reality is, the distance between you and me and God 
I'm closer to a worm than I am to God. Do you catch what I'm saying? I'm closer in relationship to a worm in likeness than I am to God. And here's why. Because God is the only being in the universe that was not created. Every, every object, everything that exists, every creature that exists has been created. And in that, I have a kinship to a rhino and a snail in ways that I'm not to God. There's a distance there that's, that's been created. God is the only creator who has not himself been created. He stands alone. There is only one like him. He is the original, and you and I are derivatives. If you think about snowflakes, right? Each, there's only, you know, there's all these unique snowflakes. I, that, the claim in scripture is that there is only one unique snowflake. Only one. It's God himself who is so insanely and ridiculously unique that all the snowflakes that are made in his image look to be radically unique themselves. But they are all, none of them are original. All of us are derivative. He is the only one. He stands singularly as the only uncreated being in the universe. And in that, he is so far distant from us. And the reason this is important is for us to remember any love that you and I show to each other, show to like a worm or a pet. No one shows love to a worm. Maybe someone shows love to a worm. Um, I don't know. Um, or love to a pet or an animal. Whatever that distance is, what we have to recognize is God's love towards us is bridging a much deeper and wider chasm. Um, and, it, and, it, and there's no analogy. His love is superior to all. But at the same time, So you see that distance. At the same time, he is the closest to you than any other creature that there is because he is intimately involved in your life. The reason that you can breathe is because God is allowing breath to be filled in your lungs. doesn't matter how in sync we are. You you could take the, the, the sappiest love relationship and the intimacy of that, like me and my wife, and our closeness to each other, understanding each other's histories, no matter how close I get to my wife, she will never get to know me the way God knows me. He knows me so intimately, and I could try as hard as I want. I cannot communicate um, things to my wife for her to get to know me on the level that God knows me. So on the one hand, he is so distant from us because he's so other than us. And then on another, he is so intimately in tune with your hurts, your pains. He is the one who allows you um, to have choice to rebel against him. He gives you that. Um, The scripture says, for by him we move and breathe and have our being. And that love that God has for us, and when we enter into that, he says in this passage that nothing can come against it. Once we're in the family, once, once we're in the no enemy, no conqueror, nothing can come between us. Nothing can separate us. He loves us. He loves us that drastically. And part of his love, he loves us so much that he will not allow us to stay where we are. Well, sin, by its nature, it gives death and produces death. And God, in his love for us, does not ever allow us to stay where we are. He takes us as we are, and he begins to work in and through our lives to get rid of sin to get rid of our tendencies. So uh, I want to show you this image. Um, this is a really famous statue 
Um, I don't know if you can recognize, does anyone recognize this? Any art majors in here who know this sculpture? No? This is um, a sculpture called Disillusion. It is a man who's caught up in this netting, uh, fishing net stuff, and an angel's kind of releasing, releasing him from it. Another title given to this is Release from Deception. It's by Francesco Carrillo um, at the Capello San Severo in Naples. Has anyone ever been to Naples? Visited? Yeah, you have? That's cool. So this, this uh, I want you to flip through like the next picture. I want you to see the detail of this. Um, this, man, you can't really see it all that well. Can we dim the lights real quick? If you could do that, Courtney, that'd be awesome. Because I want you to see the detail of this sculpture. Um, there, this is what the netting looks like, and this is made out of marble. If you flip to the next, next slide, Look at the, the way that the cords are wrapping around and are like stretched and then the holes inside there. And just think about how hard it would be to chisel that thing, right? And I think I got one more, right? Um, and there it is over his head. This is all stonework. And it, he re- the, this guy really captured that looks like netting, but it's not. It's stone. Um, thanks, Courtney. Good. Turn off the lights. Um, what's amazing about this is that that was carved out of a single block of marble, a single block. It wasn't like pieces being put together. Someone, this guy Francesco, chiseled this thing out and all the space in between. Think about for a second, like how many mistakes can you make when doing this? Like really not many. If you mess up one of those little like things, the thing falls, falls apart and all the cavity inside and to have that kind of vision to be able to know exactly where the netting would be, where the stretching would be, the ability to create this thing is actually quite a marvelous thing and took years and years, right? It's a labor of love to have the skill, first the vision, then the skill to be able to chisel away all of that to produce it. One mistake and it's over, but the level of care and focused vision to see something that was just originally a block Right? It was just a freaking block of stone, and chisel, he chisels away until this thing gets revealed underneath. Um, Emma was talking with me earlier this week, and she said, Daddy, I don't have any money for, to buy anyone Christmas presents. So her I, brilliant idea is, I'm going to make everybody gifts. And so she, we've been working through like our whole family. What would Opa like? Oh, he likes airplanes. So she made an airplane out of popsicle sticks and a clothespin and painted it all up. Um, and she was, it took her some time, right? It's a simple prize. It's not this, right? It's not this statue. But she's, she loves her opa, and she wants to make him a gift. She doesn't have money. We don't give her an allowance yet. That's coming. Um, but she poured her love into that, and it took time for her to make it, and it was something unique to opa, um, and she did it. And the reality is, that's a little kid pouring love into something If we look at verses 28 through 30 again, this is what God is doing with you. Not just giving you a gift and pouring into you, but he's actually crafting you. You. His love moves and chisels and works in you. In verse 28, he says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. He is purposefully crafting you. Before you came to God, you were a block of stone that was in some ways shaped. 
But God is chiseling away, chisel, chisel, chisel. And he knows with clarity and vision exactly what he wants to produce in you and through you and, and make you his. He labors over. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also, pre, he also predestined to become, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also glorified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So all of this, that chain of events, God is crafting and working through each of us to make us into the image of his son. That is who he is making us into. He's chiseling away. He's grinding. And we may wish that he stops doing that, right? You may wish that he wouldn't because chipping away is difficult and hard. Um, but God has designed you for something glorious and incredible. And it's going to be painful to get there, but he wants to produce something amazing in you. Um, if he had designed us for a less glorious and less arduous destiny, it would probably be less painful. But then you and I would be wishing not for more of his love, but less of his love. It is his love that drives him to chisel away the, the, the pieces that shouldn't be there in us, the pieces that shouldn't exist. His vision is to make us into the image of his son. So if you think about Jesus, the birth of Christ, the gift given, not only is it the gift of him as a baby and growing up into adulthood, what we see in Jesus is this is the model. This is the prototype of what every man should be. Every human being should be like this. That is what we're working towards. And if you think about it, just at his very beginning in his birth, the world was too crowded for Jesus to be born in an inn, right? It was too crowded, and he is born in a stable. He enters the world there, and not in the center stage of the city life of Rome, the Roman Empire. Here's a king who is on the side margins of life being born. Someone who is born in a way that we already see the, the semblance of his road to Calvary, going to a cross, being obscure in many ways. And the question to think about is, am I excited to be made in that image, right? Am I excited to be made in the image of Jesus who lived a life that was pretty unique and pretty hard? But if we're being made in his image, that means... That's what, where we're headed. That's where we're going. His love toward us is purposeful. Um, the third point for tonight is God's love toward us is fatherly. And here's what I want you to do. Look at these following verses. We're going to pop back to an earlier chunk of Romans 8. Um, with the people next to you, I want you to read this section of Scripture, 9 through 11, and I want you to pick out um, and make some observations. Just make one or two observations, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to capture you back. I want you to notice something interesting happening in this passage. See if someone can catch it. So I'm going to give you like two minutes to do that. Go ahead. All right. I know I, know I gave you barely any time, but any observations from this passage? What things do you draw out? What do you know? I just want to hear from you guys a little bit. What do you see in this passage? Yeah, Matt. Yes, verse 10, there's this contrast between death and life, right? And Josh led us through. What is it? Well, looking at the context of death and life in the passage. Anything else? Anything interesting you're noting in this passage? 
No, it's like, I know he wants us to catch something. What is it? Yeah. The Spirit lives in us. Yes. We're, we're getting to something here. The Spirit lives in us. Yes. And that's the important piece of this passage. And there's parallel statements about the Spirit living in us. Again and again, there's this repetition. The Spirit lives in us. But there's something unique about that repetition. Anyone catching it? Anyone seeing it? The whole trinity is there? Yes. That is, that's actually just about on point. What is so fascinating in this passage, if you could go to the next slide there, um, is in this passage, every phrase is talking about how the spirit resides inside of us, but notice how the label for that changes with each line. Check it out. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So first he calls it the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Then if you have the spirit of Christ, if Christ is in you, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and his spirit. Do you notice it is the trinity in there? There's, he's talking about the spirit living in us, the spirit of God, Christ himself, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, or his spirit. So who is it? Who actually lives inside us? Who raised Jesus from the dead? There's a father who raised Jesus from the dead. Um, and, but it's Jesus himself who's in us. And then it says the Spirit. All three kind of in this weird way show up in this passage. But the thing I want to hone in on is the Spirit of Christ. That it is Jesus himself who resides inside us. So the Christmas gift of the Christmas season is Christ coming down to earth. That was phase one. But actually phase two is anyone who becomes a follower of Jesus, what is true of you is that God comes down again and he sinks himself and seats himself in your heart. It is God himself who resides inside of you and it is the son who lives in and through us. So it's not just a father who lovingly sculpts you as a beautiful piece of art. He's also a father to us, um, as Josh talked about last week. But not just that the Spirit's inside of us and cries out, Abba, Father. He helps us to know that and identify that. But Jesus, who is the Son of the Father, is inside of us, becomes the closest brother and unites us with him in a way that we now, with him, the Son, identify as children of God, as men and women who are in the family of God. It is, it is so, there's this unification that happens between Jesus, who, who comes as our brother, and the reality that we are children of God. Um, and in that, we see the beauty of the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the exchange between that. God, the Father, is authoritative and directs the Son's every move. And Jesus, from the moment he's born to the day he dies on the cross, every move of his is directed by his Father, and the son loves his father so well in complete submission to everything that the father has for him. It's a terrible father who keeps his son um, exactly where he is and doesn't train. And when I'm speaking son, I'm using the word son a lot. I'm including like men and women together. The metaphor and the image that God uses is one of a son. But it is, ladies, you are part and parcel of this image. It's all of us together. Um, but I wanted to share... This little image from The Voyage of the Don Treader, if you've ever read this, this is an amazing book. But Eustace, in the story, um, is, uh, he becomes a dragon as the story continues because of his evil heart and his greed. He's, he's just um, 
a bad kid, and he turns, he literally turns into a dragon. But he encounters Aslan in part of the story, and he's so saddened, and he's in pain because he is a dragon, and he wants to become uh, human again. And he encounters the lion Aslan, which if you don't know the story, Aslan is the god figure in the book. Um, but I want to pick it up where he meets at the lion, and the lion tells him, you got to jump into this water, but first you have to undress. Um, but the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought about dragon, I thought, of, thought that dragons are snaky sort of things, and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, thought I. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself, and my scales began to come off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper. Instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully, like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, yeah, good image. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it, too. So I scratched and tore again, and, unders and this, uh, this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, oh, dear, however many skins have I got to take off, for I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore, uh, the sore place, it hurts like bilio. This is the old language. <laughs> bilio. But it is such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I've, I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, 
And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. The reality is, and the beauty of this, what what C.S. Lewis is painting is this is what God wants to do in each of our lives. We have become, in many ways, sin has coiled itself into us so deeply that we have become dragons. And what Jesus, in his kindness, does is he rips straight into the core of who we are and he strips off all of that to make us human again, to make us what we've always been meant to be. And we are way over time, so I have to like ditch the whole last section. Um, but what I want to leave you with is for you to know and understand that God loves you, and in that love, he will bring pain. I, I guarantee it. His love will look like pain to you at times in your life, but it's only because he's putting you through a process of tearing away the sinfulness in your life. And my encouragement is not to run away from it. Let him chisel it. Let him work. Let him um, tear down as deep as possible. Allow his love to go that deep. This is why... um, This is why his love is so great and so awesome. You have a destiny that you don't even know about, that you can't even fathom, and he wants um, to pull you through it. Why are we like sheep to be slaughtered? Because you and I are made after the lamb who died for the sake of the world. He's going to make you like his very own son, Jesus. He's going to make you like one who will love to give away your own life for others. Um, But to get there, We need to be stripped of all kinds of things. Um, So as you're thinking about this Christmas season, as you're considering it, remember baby Jesus and all the beauty and goodness of it, but also the rich fullness of the meaning of what it is to have been given a sacrificial life, but then also that the Lord is calling you and making you into someone who will sacrifice and give up your life to give love to others. Um, Let me pray. If you do have questions, um, or you want to chat more. We didn't even touch Psalm 44, um, but I, you can uh, grab me afterwards. I'd love, I'd love to chat. But I'm going to invite the band up while I pray. Um, so if you'd bow with me. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your, and your kindness to us. Lord, I praise you that you are a God um, who does chase us, who does come after us, who kicks down walls, Lord, your love for us is so incredible and so unique and so grand, and we just want to relish in it. We want to take delight in it. We want to um, take joy in it. Lord, would you allow us to experience the fullness of it? And Lord, when we experience pain that we know is coming from you, when you put us through difficult things, I pray that you would remind us that no matter what happens to us, if it feels like death, if it feels that the world is against us, that nothing can separate us from your love. And we know that we are authentic children of yours, and we know it because you are a father who disciplines us, who chisels away um, uh, the, the, the things that are gross and not helping us. Um, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to live in that? Would we encourage each other um, to look to you in the midst of our pain and to be able to delight not in the pain, but in the God who uses pain to make us exactly what he wants us to be. We thank you for this. Amen.
The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's PennStateCRU.org. This talk is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. You are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.